Blog Talk Radio. But God, it was a lot of fun. And um, 
unfortunately, the voice of violence, the dirty southern sorcerer, is not going to be with us tonight, Nathan Hamilton, but I'm sure he'll be back on our next episode when we have uh, Will Keenan calling in the actor and lead of the uh, vastly <laughs> love of Johnny X and his new film's about to come out. So we'll talk about that next week. But first, let's talk about stuff. Are we ready to talk about some stuff? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff going down. Yeah, there's so much going down. I'm going to start with Raven, because Raven had a special event. And then, Aaron, I'm going to go to you, and you're going to have to kind of smoosh them together. But I know you have a lot to talk about. (laughs) You always do. So we're going to start with Raven. Raven, what did you do last weekend that was so cool? It was so cool. I went to go see the Icons of Darkness pop-up museum in Hollywood, and it is pretty sweet. It's the world's largest privately owned collection of screen-used props, costumes, and special effects, and they're mostly, I mean, there's a lot of horror and sci-fi in there. Um, It costs $20 if you go before 1 p.m., and after 1 p.m., it's $25. I went at 11 with my friend, and we were the only ones. It's a guided tour. We were the only ones on the oh, tour. Oh, nice. So um, it takes about a half hour, and that was with me telling dad jokes and also, like, <laughs> asking the tour guide about trivia. Like, hey, did you hear this? Did you know this about Rick Baker? Um, and he didn't a lot of the times, and he was very gracious about it. He wasn't, like a jerk, or please let me say my script. <laughs> he was really interested, huh. and we had some, some cool conversations about some of the stuff, which, you know, if there had been a group, I wouldn't have, but since we we're the only ones, I was like, hey, come on, give me my 20 worth. Uh, they had some dinosaurs from, dinosaur heads from uh, Lost World, Jurassic Park. Um, there was a pretty good horror hall and it had um, a lot of costumes, Pinhead's original costume um, and Jack Torrance's plaid shirt from The Shining. But, you know, it's not just on a hanger. They set up some really cool shining scenes and kind of get you in the mood. The only thing that I didn't like, and this is not their fault, this was originally supposed to be a huge permanent installment, but COVID broke it. So that's why mm. they're in the space that they're in, and it isn't quite right for what they have. It's pretty cramped, um, but, you know, you can tell they're doing the best they can on the corner of Hollywood Boulevard and Highland. Um, it's it's worth money if you are interested in seeing the screen-used stuff. They do have some stuff that's not screen-used, but anything that isn't is labeled as such. They're not trying to pull anything over on you. Um, and then there's a couple of just things that are movie inspired from private collections. There, uh, like Tim Burton had this really cool Nightmare Before Christmas sculpture from his office that he donated. So it was obviously never on screen, but it's not like you're going to see that anywhere else. So, um, yeah, there's some stuff. You're allowed to take pictures. You can't take video, but um, hmm. lots of great photo ops. And I think that's worth the 20 bucks if you're into seeing screen used stuff. Nice. That sounds amazing, actually. Uh, it's yeah, so it's much fun. fun. Where is it um, in Hollywood? That's not it. It's on the corner of Hollywood and Highland. 
And it's like oh, I know exactly where that in, is. Yeah, right across the right across from the El Capitan right Theater and the White Cafe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, by the Avalon. Yep, yep. Nice. So it sounds like uh, Aaron, you're going to have to go do that. Oh hell yeah! yeah. I mean, for one thing, it's right across from uh, Disney's soda fountain where I'm, you know, always getting pins and silliness. So yeah, yeah. gotta do it. <laughs> Which is also very good for the like ice cream. I mean, it's killer ice cream. So, um. It's not bad. It, back in the day when Doers was doing this, this private little thing out of Bakersfield, it was amazing. But now it's still pretty fun. And you know, you order the uh, the Pin Traders Delight, and you get a collectible limited edition pin with your ice cream sundae. I mean, and, you know, I collect all that nonsense, so you know. I mean, you just start more collections, right? You know, I just started. Oh God! I just started have um, Nathan collecting the, the passport stamps for national parks. Like he needs a new collection, like a <laughs> hole in the head. So <laughs> that's what we do. That's what we do, you know. Um, so, uh, and yep. to follow up on that, you, you had two amazing things that also you went to, Mr. Kogan. Uh, you went, obviously, we need to recap what you did at Star Wars Celebration, and hell and news came out of Star Wars Celebration. Not that it's about Star Wars, but about Indiana Jones. And you also went oh to Monster Palooza, which is the largest media convention for horror makeup in the country. I was a convention slut the past couple weeks. Um, Like you said, so much news out of Star Wars Celebration Anaheim. We could literally, literally spend the entire program talking about the stuff coming out of there. But, um, yeah, just, I mean. Honestly, though, people can Google most of it. Give us the important shit. (laughs) Well, I mean, for myself personally, I mean, being invited to come back in the evening and watch the world premiere of the first two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi with Ewan McGregor and, and the cast, that was kind of a highlight. That was pretty freaking up there for me. Oh, my God. Um, we had uh, John Williams uh, on his 90th birthday conducting live wow. and uh, Duel of the Fates with a live chorus. Uh, I recommend. I, I highly recommend if you get the opportunity. Um, we got news on the brand new series Skeleton Crew. Finally, um, that's going to be starring uh, Jude Law, uh, the guy who directed Spider-Man: No Way Home. Uh, John Watts is one of the co-creators, and it's going to follow a group of kids who get lost and try to find their way home uh, in the time period after Return of the Jedi, with the collapse of the Galactic Empire and. Uh, they sort of been calling it Stand By Me in Space, so that could be fun. I don't know. We'll see. Um, Ahsoka, we got big Ahsoka news. Um, Chopper, my favorite murder droid in the entire Star Wars universe, is going to be a part of it, as well as Sabine. Uh, we got a, a confirmation on the actor who's going to be playing Sabine, and Harris and Dula is going to be in it, and uh, our friend Dave Filoni was really, really coy about whether or not we're going to finally get to see Thrawn and uh, other people that we've seen in Rebels and other things in the past. (coughs) Pardon me. Uh, We got uh, word from Ron Howard himself about the new Willow series, and that's pretty exciting. That was pretty Uh, Have you seen the trailer for that? Yeah, I mean, Uh -uh. uh, yes. 
I did. Oh yeah. I yeah, don't yeah. usually watch trailers, but I watched that one. Um, so and everyone's coming back. Walbrick Davis, Al Kilmer, um, and yeah. there's a lot of new people too. I mean, that, that was actually the first big news to break uh-huh. from Star Wars Celebration. It was just money. Uh, and you can't so much freaking news in it. <laughs> um, let's see. We got details finally on Tales of the Jedi. It's going to be an anthology series. Uh, Dave Filoni, again, uh, behind the scenes, uh, set during the prequel area. Prequel era, rather. So episodes one, two, three. Um, the series is going to focus on Ahsoka Tano and Count Dooku, and Liam Neeson is coming back to voice Qui-Gon Jinn. Um, uh, Dave said it's super fun. It's a passion project to tell short stories. Um, what else? Uh, oh, oh, when, when uh, the, the lady on stage was asking him, um, well, why you didn't ask me where Ezra is? Uh, because that's what all the fans want to know, where the hell Ezra and where the hell Admiral Thrawn is. He took beat and he said, he's far, far away. So he's just messing with us. We're, we're not going to find <laughs> out <laughs> until the thing <laughs> finally appears. Um, we got some really juicy stuff on Andor and a beautiful effing um, teaser trailer for Andor. Uh, Diego Luna, who played uh, Cassian Andor in Rogue One and obviously is coming back for the limited series, uh, said the beauty of this show is there's no way they're going to kill me because, of course, he's killed off in Rogue One. <laughs> but um, it looks gorgeous. Uh, he described it as being uh, a Star Wars story about people because uh, it's, you know, we're not setting, uh, we're not focused on Force users. We're not focused on the Skywalker family. It's really almost uh, a tale of refugees in the Star Wars universe and how the Empire radicalized them into rebels. We're going to get that August 31st. Uh, I think we mentioned this last time. It's going to be the longest series so far, uh, with, I believe, 12 episodes for season one. And uh, season two has already been green-lighted, and that's going to be the final season. And um, let's see, I spent way too much money at the Funko Pop booth. (laughs) um, As one does. as one does, I, I kept my powder dry on the big autographs, but I did get to meet Daniel Logan, and he autographed a little art for me, and that was very nice. And I saw beautiful art and took tons of pictures of cosplay and uh, looked at lots of collectibles and toys and drooled over most of it. So, but that was just one. Oh, and also at the very, very tail end of Star Wars Celebration, almost like a blip, there was a very quick whisper that they greenlit and they're releasing Bad Batch Season 3 this fall. Yes. <laughs> Which is Which what I Nathan's been waiting of. for. Yeah, a lot of people are. And, and Nathan's a huge fan of that show. And he kept asking me when I kept checking your stuff. Is season three green wait, season three coming out? Is it coming out? I'm like, no, 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 no. And then very last article I saw, like like Sunday evening, it was, there it was. Uh, it said that it was coming out. So uh, you know, yeah. so much. And don't forget, you forgot about Indiana Jones five. Right. Well, um, we didn't really get much in the way of details. Um, John Williams uh, 
said you know, after he had played uh, a bit of Star Wars this and that, uh, he played the world premiere of the Obi Wan theme, which I guess is going to be the last Star Wars music we're getting out of him. Unfortunately, he's he's passing the baton on. But then he said, and now here's something else. It's not Star Wars, but you might recognize it. And he goes into the Raiders of the Lost March, and Harrison Ford comes out on stage. And uh, that was kind of a magic moment, too. And, yeah, um, we got a, a still photo for Indy 5. And, you know, as long as we can avoid the silliness that was Crystal Skulls with nuking the fridge, uh, I'll, I'll probably go, maybe. No, no more CGI <laughs> bugs. I mean, the, what, what was glorious oh. about the first three movies is that the animals were all real. And the fourth film, the bugs were totally CG. And that's not the point of Indiana Jones. You know, I want my bugs to be real, goddammit. No Thank CG you. ants. Absolutely. No more. No more CG uh-uh. ants. I would have even forgave the fridge part because if it had CG ants, because Marion Ravenwood is one of my favorite heroines of all time, and I was so excited to see her, and then I went to see that movie, and I just wanted to scream. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they, they didn't screaming. really do anything with it right now. Oh, yeah, Monster Palooza. Um, yeah. This is my first time at a Monster Palooza event. Um, uh, on the whole, I don't think it was quite as well run as Midsummer Scream and its offshoots, but I would go back again. Weird. The focus, yeah, seriously. It, um, it I don't used know. They, to be they, one, maybe maybe Rona caused an icky start because it used to be the top of its of its field. I, I I'm, fortunately I have nothing to compare it to except other horror conventions I've been to. Uh, it, it might have, as you say, been a victim of Rona and things slipped a little bit. But uh, lines and everything just didn't quite move as smoothly. But uh, once you got in, everything was pretty well set up. Huge uh, vendor floors, uh, a lot of great celebrities there. I actually got to meet a couple myself and get uh, photographs. And uh, because I have a, a small but severely twisted collection of Funko Pop horror, uh, I got to expand that collection a little bit. Uh, met Tim Curry and got an, an autographed <laughs> It Funko, <laughs> and uh, got to meet Tom Savini, uh, very cool, and had him autograph a Jason Voorhees for me. Um, yeah, tons of people there, uh, celebrity-wise. And then, as you mentioned, a bunch of really nice uh, professional makeup booths, uh, not just uh, the actual makeup itself that you could purchase, but also professionals applying and doing some amazing prosthetic work that you could watch them uh, do in process. And, um, oh gosh, I'm going to blank on her name. Uh, the lady who won the Academy Award who did the makeup for Star Trek The Motion Picture and Beetlejuice. Venial. And her last name is like, thank you. <laughs> yes. She's, she's she was, one of my heroes. She was, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt she was there doing some amazing work on someone and uh, just anything you could think of on the floor. As far as panels go, uh, there was a showing of PG psycho Gorman and uh, some of the creatives with that. Um, There was a panel on horror and heavy metal that I only caught a little bit of, but seemed like a lot of fun. There was this severely twisted little thing. Um, 
oh man, am I going to blank on the name? Let me see if I wrote it there or not. But um, uh, a couple of the drag queens from the Boulay Brothers show have this really twisted, fun thing uh, called it's, it's it's not psychotherapist here. I've got it here. Uh, la la sado psychiatrist, and you can see the the pilot actually on YouTube, and it's just funky, weird, John Waters shit, and if you're into that, you're going to love it. And they had a panel and a booth, uh, and, you know, I took pictures with everyone, and uh, let's see, bought Natalie this really cool, really nicely detailed miniature werewolf head and some art and just enjoyed the vibe and cosplay lots and lots of horror cosplay. It all sounds, I'm sorry. It didn't sound like it was as good as years past, but there was still plenty to do and that you got to see V Neil do her magic. That itself is worth it right there. Um, And, and I've always wanted to go to monster Palooza and midsummer screen for that matter too. Uh, But you know, someday maybe, when I'm not so poor and trying to find a place to live in a new job. Uh, so we'll see. Son of Monster Palooza um, is coming up at, in Burbank. If you want to yep. make it out for that one, let me know. We'll go. It's a little bit smaller, but yeah, I would do any of the Monster Paloozas. Um, so I didn't do anything as cool as what you guys did, but um, you know, when they say desperation and opportunity knocks sometimes, um, fortunately, um, uh, Nathan's mother got COVID. Um, uh, oh, last no. week. and she's fine. She's, she tested negative yesterday, so she's out of it now. Um, but she actually oh, has a timeshare in Myrtle beach and because she tested positive, she gave the condo to myself and Nathan. So I spent an entire week last week for free in Myrtle beach. Uh, so hey, I had never, that's a tourist trap, as you know, a very big one. <laughs> I've never been there before. Um, we had one day that I'll talk about, because I can talk about a lot of things, uh, you know, the restaurants, whatever. Um, I actually ventured and actually did my first buffet since COVID. That was – I still wore my mask. <laughs> I was terrified, <laughs> but I did it. Um, but we had what, what we called the teenage goth – what was it? We called it the teenage goth night date. Um, <laughs> that's what we called it. We had a, we did a little bit that's of cool. uh, libations ahead of time and we had a, a, a pack of clove cigarettes and we went down to the area of the boardwalk where all the, the, the stuff is. Uh, we walked through one of the oldest, uh, haunted walkthroughs in the United States called Nightmare Haunted House, which is now right now themed as Zombie Zone. Um, and it's an act, it's not one of those cinemas, mm. it was an actual walkthrough with scare actors. And it was actually a lot of fun, um, you know, normal, ah, a lot of jump scares. But the best part was before you get out of the actual hunt, they start counting you down. You've been in there too long. Time to leave. And they count you down. And it actually makes you really oh. nervous. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, I can't get out. But then, you know, of course, the big jump scare at the end, the chainsaw, because, you know, chainsaws. And the Saws family. As I say, <laughs> so so that was actually pretty cool and pretty fun to do. And then there's a huge arcade there um, that has it has some pinball, but actually what it has, it's not a pinball machine. But they in the 50s and 60s they had these machines where um, it's kind of like pinball, but it's like baseball. 
and you hit the baseball and the, and the, and the, and the, the, the baseball people move. And so, you know, and you, if you get a certain amount of points, you win a prize. We won three stuffies. So that was pretty nice. fun. Um, and then, like, um, a lot of people don't know that Myrtle Beach happens to be the putt-putt capital of the United States. It's actually the biggest yeah. in the world. They have, they have the national uh, putt-putt golf tournament there every year. Um, and when I mean they're serious, there's a lot of frigging mini golf courses all there. there. A lot of them are really weird and look about the same. Like, they'll have, like, a like – a, not windmills, but like pirate ships because it's Myrtle Beach, and then a giraffe mm. randomly. It's like okay, um, but the one we went huh. to was called Atlanticus, and Atlanticus is a several-tiered uh, one. It doesn't have a lot of props or gimmicks in it. It's just really nicely tailored golf course course uh, holes, and uh, I learned something about myself. I know how to play putt putt. I had no idea. I thought I sucked at it, um, <laughs> and so. So we did all those things while smoking club cigarettes and wearing, you know, like cut off black shorts with a black shirt, you know, it was teenage goth night, you know, teenage goth date night. So it was actually pretty cool. Um, so I had a lot of fun. One good restaurant. Um, I mean, there was a couple, like I said, there was buffets and I haven't done those in years. Uh, but there's this Brazilian steak called, called Rio's. Rio's can hold its hit salt against any Brazilian steakhouse I've ever been to. It was delicious. Um, if you're a carnivore, it is the place to be. <laughs> I was really, really surprised how good this place was. Um, now they have a fantastic salad bar, and if you eat in, and it comes free with the fish, you want to go that way. Um, but if you're a meat eater, it is. It was delectably good. I, I, I it was one of the best meals I've had in years in a restaurant. Um, I would highly recommend it. So that's what I did. Uh, not, not a lot of, um, but in the meantime, at night, and this is where we're going to segue into our summer preview and recap, I, at the end of the day, binged season three of Stranger Things, <laughs> or season four, I'm sorry, of Stranger Things, uh, which, of course, has now become not just the number one show on Netflix, it is turned our whole world back to 1986. Like, seriously. Huh. And I saw a meme about it, too. We're in the middle of a proxy war with Russia. Um, three songs are, uh, from 1985 are in the top uh, 100 singles downloaded right now, including mm-hmm. Pass the Dixie on the left-hand side by Musical Youth, of all things. Um, and we'll talk, of course, about Kate Bush here in a minute. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it absolutely leans leans on its horror roots which well, it was funny because when it first came out I read a lot of reviews and everyone was like well these are two long episodes and it's too scary for kids and then I'm watching this episode going these are great what the hell uh, and, they, and they, maybe they are a little rougher around the edges than the first few seasons when it comes to its horror but I I don't know I absolutely loved the first this this first part of the season and I can't wait for the next two episodes. I know that Raven said she saw they saw the first you saw it all, right? Yes. I am caught up. I am ready for July first. And how nice. do you, did you how did you feel about it? I'm ready for July first. <laughs> ready for July first. Normally we gotta wait. We gotta wait for July. But the creators, the Duffy brothers, know 
we already waited two Julys because of COVID. So they were nine mm. and they gave us part A of season four. We get and part B on July 1st. And it's not, it's only a couple episodes though. I think it's like two. I think it's three episodes for part yeah. B. But they're long. So they're going to be a few And uh, on one hand, I'm like, thanks. Thanks for letting us see part of this early. But in a way, it's almost worse because I've had that case. Mm-hmm. I knew I couldn't wait until July 1st. There's no way I couldn't have any spoilers by then. What's a girl to do? Uh, binge it all in one second and then cry about it, I guess. Listen to Kate Bush and scream. That's all I can mm-hmm. do. <laughs> um, it has just found its stride. Every time I think it's found its stride, it does it better. Um and I can see kind of the stuff they probably had to do during COVID. I'm guessing a lot of the stuff with one actor in snow is <laughs> overall, uh, the writing is as great as it's ever been. The acting is as great as it's ever been. And the music is as great as it's ever been. Three singles have charted from 1985 and 1986 because of this show. Like I said, Pasta by Musical Youth. You spin me round like a record by Dead or Alive, which is like the third or fourth time this song. This song is like a bad penny. It pops up every once in a while. But then the biggest news is Running Up the Hill by Kate Bush. Not only being number one downloaded song in the world, it surpassed her her number one status in England in 1986 um, yeah. and and revived her, her career like like she's That's now awesome. hotter than ever I'm going to play the whole uh, and the Stranger Things remix of it uh, which you haven't gotten to yet Aaron because it's at the end of season four it is trippy oh, okay. it is so good oh my God. so it's... trippy and it Right on. Beautiful sequence and 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 Vecna Vecna is a practical effect. Speaking of of practical effects, um, yeah. You know, and, and he's he, look, he looks amazing. Um, there's so much Nightmare and Elm Street going on in this ep- season. Mm. Um, to the point that Ro- spoiler Robert England's in it. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's just everything you could. I, it was worth the wait. I, I'm sorry it took so long to get here, but I'm glad that it's here now. And I'm like you, Raven. I can't wait for July 1st to mm. see the rest of this. Um, and speaking of which, uh, two sci-fi things dropped. Let's talk, since we talked about Star Wars Celebration. Aaron, what is your feeling yes. on the first? I didn't see the third one, so I haven't seen today's episode, but Obi-Wan so far. Uh I have been loving Obi-Wan. If if I have anything to say about the show itself, it's that um, maybe you could give me a little more. If you're only giving me six episodes, you might make the episodes a little longer, please. But um, I'm trying to remember if we for sure heard that season two uh, is green lighted or green lit. I never know which is correct of that. Or if uh, Ewan was just teasing us when he talked about season two on stage. I'm trying to remember if it's for sure official, but um, there's certainly room for it. And I, it's been 
polarizing in the fans seeing Obi-Wan like this, but it's not without precedent in the mythos of the Star Wars universe. So I have no problem at all going on this journey. It's certainly uh, a blast and a half seeing what they're doing, uh, bringing Hayden Christensen back uh, for Vader and just, man, he owns it. James Earl Jones is and James Earl again. Jones, yeah, hell's your, yeah, your and yeah, I'm loving everything. Only uh, beginning. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I, I don't know if we want to talk about all the bullshit surrounding uh, the actor who does the third sister, Reva, and the racist nonsense. Uh, I'm not even giving fans. that any any energy. It's bullshit. Right on. Um, you know, uh, it, whatever. It's a shame that. Yeah, it's a shame that it even has to be addressed at all. But um, yeah, I, I fucking love the character. I, I, I absolutely adore what the actor Moses is doing with the character, and I can't wait to see her arc in the series. I, I, some jackass was talking about how they're retconning Leah, and that's bullshit. It's not retconning at all. It's fully fleshing out and developing the character that we fell in love with back in 77 with and, Star and Wars, also, which we used to call it, it back then. <laughs> it also, and, and, and I read an article and it supported how this is actually leads into new hope with the, to the edits yep. in the, in the, in the show, in the movie. Um, and you know, how smart Leia is and, you know, and, and why they're pretending not to know Ben Kenobi. But as soon as he says Ben, she's up and going, you know, and, yep. and you know, and at the end of her little speech, you know, she's saying your father of Clone Wars, but you're my only hope. Um, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it's backing up everything. The new hope it, it unlike some of the other Star Wars things, which is messed with canon. This one is not. And, um, you, you know, this is not the midichlorians. <laughs> you know, this is not Darth Vader going, Wee! you know, it's not anything like that. First of all, Darth Va- my favorite thing about the second episode was when Obi-Wan saw Darth Vader and his response was to run away. <laughs> he goes yeah. and runs away. And you know what? If I had that guy mad at me, because boy, is he mad at Obi-Wan, I would run yep. away too. <laughs> oh my God, would I run away? I mean, dude, and then he drags him. I mean, the, Vader is so scary. Like, you never really see he in the is. first three movies how terrifying Vader really was. You really didn't get a clue about that until Rogue One. And here, he's yep. just, oh, he's like, Dragging people to their deaths, force dragging people to their deaths. He's snapping their necks, uh, you know, without even Kids. looking at them. Kids, yeah. people. Uh, he is he a badass mother. Grabs Obi Wan through the fire, which is hysterical. Uh, I was wow. rolling. I was like, "Oh my god, this is terrible!" It was awesome, uh, you know. So yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed seeing Darth Vader be Darth Vader. Because we don't really get yep. to see him be Darth Vader in the prequels, even he's still hating Christensen. Yippee! You know. <laughs> you know? So, well, that um, was always my strongest criticism of the prequel trilogy: is we were told we get to see how Anakin or Annie became Darth Vader, but really all we saw is how he got the suit, and we didn't really see the development of him into the sophisticated villain. 
you know, your lack of faith disturbs me. That's not really the kind of thing that Anakin went around saying. Anakin was kind of, you know, rushing headlong into everything. The, the joke is uh, Anakin don't is really how you can sum up episodes one through three from Obi-Wan. Uh, and this is much more what I was hoping to get out of uh, the first uh, trilogy, episodes one through three. And I hope this they go more, more with it. Like... And now there's even talk of maybe a Darth Vader series uh, playing off the really popular Darth Vader, uh, Darth Vader Marvel comic book series. And oh, I'm effing down for that. Please, please, please give me that. Well, you know, it, it, it actually feels like it's a true successor to Clone Wars um, because we finally get to see Hayden Christensen's character as Anakin become a good character, yeah. or like a well-fleshed-out character through Clone Wars. And so now we mm-hmm. get to see him become Darth Vader, and, and, and it's, it's kind of glorious. I haven't – have you seen the third episode yet? Yes. And is it still glorious? It is. Uh, again, my, my one complaint, a little short. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. it, this this is kind of a setup episode, but um, it's good for what it is. Stranger Things is too long. Open one's too short. I I did want to say <laughs> one crit, one criticism uh, so far on on Stranger Things, and it's more of an observation than a criticism. For some reason, Matthew Modine has the strongest plot Teflon. I have ever seen a character have in any show. Mm. That character should have been dead. I don't know now how many seasons, three times yeah. over, and he's still <laughs> fucking alive. It's so funny. But anyway, speaking of, of alive and reviving, when I went to San Diego Comic-Con the year before Rona in 2019 with you, Aaron, I went to the Orville yep. panel, right? Orville was also yep. revived. And the first episode dropped last week, and the next episode drops tomorrow. Unfortunately, though, it's not a funny episode. My comedians, my happy-go-lucky but true sci-fi show, dealt with suicide in the first episode. (laughs) Yeah, but it did it in such a weak-ass way. It did. Uh, I I mean, you you go ahead. I'll tell you what I think after. No, 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 no. Go for it. No, I want to hear your opinion first. Okay, first off. I have to admit, I am not the biggest Orville fan all along. Uh, the comedy wasn't that funny, and the drama wasn't that dramatic. And here, boy, howdy, do we have that in space. Like you said, very, very, very little funny. And are, are we doing spoilers for Orville first episode? Sure, why not? No one else has seen it. Okay. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what I fucking thought they were going to do when they, they killed off they're they're fucking droid, the the robot dude. I I, I fucking knew, uh, he, I, he was going to be uh, brought back by the end of the episode when they had the uh, funeral. I went, wow, they're going this far, they to, to to go this far, and not have him permanently dead would be a big huge fuck you to the fans. So maybe I do have to give them a little more credit that they're willing to. Uh, kill off Isaac, a major character. Nope, I was wrong. Yeah, to even consider that for half a second was wrong. They just brought him back again in the most cliche fucking, ugh. It, it's bad Star Trek fanfic. It's not even well, good Star Trek fanfic. I, I'm, I'm, for 
first of all, I am a fan of Orville, and I actually really, especially, I thought when they finally were kicking in the sci-fi, they really started to write decent sci-fi for the show. But that being, I'm, so I'm going to give it a pass and hope that it gets better because they did have to wrap up some shit from se- the last season. It's been a while. Rona mm-hmm. threw everything off. So let's. I'm going to give it a pass. I did like how they used this episode to tribute Norm Macdonald. Um, so there was that yeah. going on because um, Norm Macdonald was actually a pretty large character in the first two seasons. And in season two, he actually became a hero and not just a gimmick. Which I really like. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that Orville will improve. If you know, I I I was really mad when they said they were moving it to Hulu because I thought I wasn't going to be able to see it. But I have Hulu, so yeah. I'm able to see it. Oh, so, nice. uh, yeah. so oh my god! But this is just the tip of the iceberg, ladies and gentlemen. Which is there is so much TV. And and movies coming out this summer. I mean, I, I, there's you, there's no reason to go outside. Really, there isn't. I mean, <laughs> Love, Death, and Robots came out, of course, and that was great. Um, Ghost in the Shell's new season that follows directly after, uh, yeah. you know, Standalone Complex has dropped. Yeah. Am I there? <laughs> yes, you're there. Okay. <laughs> I think Liz went into go. <laughs> Son of a wow! So Son of a diddly yeah, summer, summer. I've only seen okay. So the trailer for Nope. I don't even understand what yes. Nope is about. But yep, <laughs> but Jordan Peele. Oh, so, so fucking in. And yeah, I wasn't a big hit, uh, fan of Us, but God damn, Nope looks good. Yeah, I I just wish he would churn out a horror movie every week for me. And I don't know why that's too much to ask. <laughs> fair. Okay, no, that's you're right. That's fair. <laughs> just at the edge of summer, uh, September 9th, right after we're, we're like, oh, no, back to school, and the commercials still trigger you even though you're not in school anymore, and you're like, oh, I don't have a backpack. Salem's Lot <laughs> remade. Hello, as a movie, theatrical release, uh, directed by Gary Dauberman. That's coming out in September, and I always thought that Salem's Lot deserved kind of a, a fair shot at a modern remake because uh, it's kind of stuck in the 70s since the miniseries came out. Yeah. We we get Nope July 22nd, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Right, that one. <laughs> Fuck yes. Um, and then also, not horror per se, but we'll say horror adjacent in two days is Jurassic World Dominion and they're totally hopping on this freaking multiverse thing where it's like everything is canon now. Anything that's ever had Jurassic in the title is canon and we meant that from the first place. <laughs> Trailer. Everyone's in it. Goldblum, here he is. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm like, okay, it's probably going to suck. I don't even care. If it was just them standing in a lineup, I'd be like, yeah, that was worth it. Whatever. 
Wow. Nice to see them. Wow. You are their see. Jurassic bitch. You you will <laughs> just buy any. Oh, okay. No, that's okay. Well, you know. I don't um, know. Yeah, I I, I got to admit, I I felt a huge pang when I saw the uh, freaking Loch Ness monster like pliosaurs in the water, and I went, "Oh God, are you really gonna?" Uh, uh, oh, but yeah, at some point, you know, you can only beat me up so many times in a Jurassic movie, and I'm just gonna say, "Okay, you know, that, that's enough. I'm good now." I, right. Okay. Someone is Let's, someone is going to have to go and tell me that it's worth putting my twelve fifty down for a matinee before I'm going to go to this one. Yeah, I I admit somewhere in my head I go, wait, didn't Jeff Goldblum die in like the second one or something? <laughs> Are all these people dead? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. It's so uh, they act like it's an accomplishment that they can be on screen at this age. In a way, it kind of is. Because, like, yay for fighting angels and men. It's like Jurassic actors and dinosaurs. What more do you want? I'm okay with it. It's fine. It could be worse. Okay, fair. Speaking of could be worse, speaking of could be worse, have you seen the preview for Avatar, The Way of Water? I have not. Oh, man. I, oof. I, again, like, I wasn't that big of an Avatar fan. I like the special effects, but oh yeah. man, James Cameron! I know you you, you love the the submarines and the the under the water and the Titanic and the, but really, you're just gonna just gonna move the whole thing under the waves and that'll be okay. <laughs> okay. It's kind of like what, what, when people go, "What if we did a Midsummer Night's Dream, but it was the city?" <laughs> And um, oh guess what? Every other community theater has done that since the dawn of time. So, and it is kind of a, a James Cameron kind of bitch move to be like, but what if we did it underwater? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you're so right. Uh, and yes, I was in a production of Midsummer Dream where we were all in Empire era clothing because that's what the theater had. So, yeah. <laughs> you got to work with what you got. Dude, yeah, okay. Well, you know, I I once saw a production of Midsummer Night's Dream where they had a humongous moon on stage because they borrowed it from SCR. And it didn't fit the whole theater, but damn it, they borrowed it from SCR. So there it was, and Oberon was kind of bat Oberon, but he had force powers like Darth Vader, and that was one of the weirder productions I've ever seen. Wow. That Oberon. Yeah, I did see a doo-wop one. I saw one set in the 60s. Um, I saw one where they set it in Athens, Georgia, instead of Athens, Greece. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm always kind of sad. I never got to see Hamlet on Mars. <laughs> I have not. I've Someone did Hamlet on a, Mars. I'm serious. Oh, okay. Well, I saw really? a Star Wars best. Uh, well, oh. you know, you take, take what you can get. I mean, Portland is kind of required. You're required to put two an- anachronistic things together, and that's how you get people to come to your show. 
We uh, have a like, local company no, here in Orange. Yes. I'm sorry. You, you know, I was, I was going to say we have a, a local company that's uh, famous or infamous, if you prefer, for doing mashups of Shakespeare with musicals. So, you know, we've had a, a, a Xanadu Shakespeare. We've had a Grease Shakespeare. Um, and, and they do actual <laughs> songs. They incorporate the actual songs into the production. And uh, I say, sure, rock on it. Hey, oh, we got back. on a Welcome back. Can you hear, can you hear me? <laughs> yes. Yay, we can. We, we were vamping. So, I don't know what happened, but my internet disappeared completely. Um, so I, I couldn't, I couldn't get it we back on. We were talking on. shit about you. Oh, I'm sure you were. You. Um, so <laughs> I had to use my hotspot on my phone. And so I call back in and it thinks I'm still connected. So it won't actually let me go in as host. So I am actually calling from my phone. Oh, thank you for calling in. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, that I'm calling weird. my own t- Thank goodness I'm actually not leading the second hour. So. <laughs> Has anyone seen but, um, Top Gun Maverick? Oh, I have not seen Top Gun Maverick. How is it? Do you want to? No, no, I, I'm, I'm waiting to see. Um, I want to see it on at the drive-in as a double feature with Jurassic Ooh. Park. That's kind of what I'm waiting for. Nice. I'm with you. Yeah, we were talking about Dominion a little bit. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's because, you know, I, I, it, I don't care about the plot at all, but they did do practical flying effects and photography, and yeah. I would like to see those. Um, but I'm not, like, willing to go see it individually in the theater. Um, but the, where, so where did we leave off, by the way? <laughs> well, we left off in the middle of Shakespeare, but we were starting about <laughs> the World we- Dominion. And then Avatar, water, right. Jim Cameron uh, putting Avatar things up. Avatar getting wet. <laughs> you know, I hate and to say it, the Avatar movie is going to be huge, whether we want it to be or not. Of course it is. That, that movie is going to blow the fuck up because of the rides at Disneyland or Disney yep. World. So, you know, but it is what it is. Um, I'll, I'll be inside watching my television because, you know, Stranger Things comes back, um, What We Do in the Shadows comes back, and they've already greenlit Yay! five and six seasons for that. Um, nice. Yeah. Nathan, he's looking forward to Resident Evil, um, the new series yes. on Netflix, and, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then Westworld even comes back. Um, you know, there is one film I do want to point out, and it comes out on the uh, 16th, I believe, of this month. Yeah, it's called Man God, and it's directed by Bill Tibbet himself, for people who don't know who yeah. Bill Tibbet is. He was the leading stop animated guy in the world um, in the 80s and the early 90s, and if it, he was actually slated to do Jurassic, the first Jurassic Park movie. Um, and yeah. um, they saw the CG and went with CG instead, but he still helped develop the technology to make the dinosaurs because they still needed the maquettes so they could make, capture the imagery on in the computers. So his his film, which has been years in the making, finally comes to, uh, comes out on the 16th. Yeah. And I'm going to go see it at the Plaza, which is the big uh, you know move, retro art movie palace here in or well, I'm not in 
Georgia right now, but it's in Georgia, and it's a big deal to go see it there. So I'm looking forward to that. Nice. So. Yeah, um, Bill Tibbet did uh, the ED-209 sequences in RoboCop. That's uh, correct. He did uh, the, the monsters in Willow. Um, he did the chess set, the alien chess set in Star Wars. Um, he's he's amazeballs. Yeah, seriously, they have one at uh, Batu in uh, Disneyland, and I'm seriously mm-hmm. tempted. Is it like Did any of us see Bob's Burgers yet? Did anybody see Bob's no, Burgers yet? I really want to see Bob's Burgers, and I really want to see Crimes of the Future, Crimeberg's new movie. It looks amazing. Yeah. You know, I've seen so neither yet, but they're on my list. Yeah, there's there's so many good films coming out. I mean, like I said, there's no reason to be outside, right? <laughs> and of course, I, I got really Thor: like Love and Philosophy. Yeah, you know, no, and Thor: Love and Thunder is also coming out. So, July uh, <laughs> so uh, it's kind of like I, I can't believe how geeky a summer this is. This is one of the geekiest summers we've had in a long time. Now, I'm not complaining. Ms. Marvel just opened on uh, Disney Plus. Uh, it's gotten great reviews. Love the trailer for that. Um, the thing that I'm probably looking forward to most on TV, Umbrella Academy, is June yeah. 23rd coming back. I have that listed too. Um, and of course, at the end of the summer, the elephant in the room, or in this case, the Balrog in the room, uh, Lord of the Rings, <laughs> The Rings of Power drops two four days before um, the new season of Cobra Kai. I mean, really, no reason to go outside. Also, um, <laughs> on June 24th, June 24th, the Black Phone comes out, and that's yep. based on oh, yeah. Joe Hill's short story. Um, and it's Ethan Hawke, directed by Scott Derrickson and produced by Jason Blum. Mm-hmm. And I, about I, who abducts children. <laughs> yeah, I have that on the list. I also have uh, Nope, which is the next yeah. Uh, yeah. Jordan Peele movie. And then Alex Garland's movie just came out. I don't think, has anybody seen that in our group yet? Uh-uh. Mm-mm. Nah, man, I, I really want to see men. Um, it, the trailer had me at Alex Garland. Because it's you know ex ex machina and he also did Annihilation. Whether there's flaws in those films and there are, if they're still compelling and I think he's got amazing vision. So I I would go see anything he does right now. So I'm looking forward to those are the main things I'm looking forward to. So um, <laughs> so like um, so is there anything we have missed? We should talk uh, about well as far as going to make some money for sure. Uh, Minions, The Rise of Gru will make a ton at the box office, I promise. Yeah, it, it, it more uh, likely will. Is that July 1st yeah. also? Well, I'm going to be indoors watching yeah. Stranger Things while everybody else is actually uh, <laughs> doing that. Um, I do, and, and uh, I'm going to do a quick pro wrestling thing um, because it is kind of a big deal because um, Double and Nothing was the big pay-per-view that came was last weekend. And um, it was a big deal because I don't know if you know who CM Punk is, but he was one of the biggest wrestlers in the 90s, early 2000s. He left for seven years, came back to AEW to huge being over like he'd never left. He actually finally, after years, won the world championship belt. 
So it was kind of a big wow. deal. But here's what happened. The next episode, he wrestled in a tag team match and broke his foot. He had to drop oh. the, the title. Um, so he's, in, luckily, That's it's minor crazy. surgery, and he will be back. But what they're doing starting tonight is that they're actually having to battle for a new champion until he's back. They call them interim champions wrestling. So they have to set up a whole new thing. And on the 26th, the next pay-per-view, which is actually really short, right? They usually don't put them that close. They're doing this big thing called Forbidden Door, which was going to be a joint wrestling match with New Japan Pro Wrestling, one of the biggest Japanese promotions. And a lot of the guys that started AEW got their starts there. And so at first it was just going to be like this cool, like, oh, you get to see the top Japanese guys. Oh, you got to see the top, you know, people wrestling each other. So now it actually is becoming a championship battle between the two promotions. And the top guy in New Japan Pro Wrestling and the top guy in AEW are going to wrestle for the world championship uh, live on pay-per-view on the 26th of June. Um, So for wrestling fans, this is like – this is almost as big as WrestleMania. Uh, it's kind oh. of a big deal. Um, and, you know, at first it was going to be this cool little thing, and now it's actually kind of just blew up, blew up because CM Blanc had just off the belt. So, once again, no reason to go outside. <laughs> so, I, I, I'm like, holy crap, all this is going on. And on top of it, I'm researching for the madness. Watching a lot of folk movies. Joe Bob has been killing it. He showed Tenenbrae mm. two weeks ago. Um, he showed mm-hmm. Nosferatu, both Nosferatus, two, a week before that. Monster that was, Club. The, the theme of this, you know, every year uh, we throw a huge themed Halloween party at my house with contests and prizes and all kinds of silliness. And the theme this year is Monster Club, that film that oh. he showed. That's amazing. I actually, you know what? I've never seen Monster Club. Really? <gasps> oh, it's fun. We watched it. It's now silly it and fun. So, and I haven't had a chance to watch the Joe Bob episode yet either. So, um, so <laughs> oh, you'll have a blast. I didn't see it for the first time until until we had the anthology theme Madness. And Joe Bob will also tell you nobody saw this movie until Elvira showed it. Uh, so uh, even though it came out in 81, it wasn't even on her show till like 87 or something like that. Um, so don't feel bad for not having seen it. No one did. <laughs> but it's okay, good. Because <laughs> it's a musical horror movie with starring Boris Karloff, and I'd never seen it. I mean, what kind of horror uh, am I? I've been feeling like, and the thing is, Nathan, who's seen them all, like he's seen all horror movies. He hadn't seen it either. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> I know, right? So uh, we, we have to fix no. that. Um, it's amazing. He also we showed Hellbender, which, once yeah. again, I want to highly recommend Hellbender. It, 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 that movie is a, a, such a cool, sexy witch movie. Um, I, I really, really enjoy that film a lot. And it, it's, a, it's a COVID film done right, if that makes any sense. Like, you know, cool. uh, the they, they they did it in their trailer, driving around the United States, shooting in various locations, and it was just basically the it's it's a family. It's um a wife, a husband, director, and their kid, and the mom and the daughter are real life moms and daughters in 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 uh 
in the movie, they're in real life also that. Um, so it's kind of amazing. So low budget, well, zero budget, and yet it's pretty effective movie. Huh. And I was very pleased that Joe Bob is doing the world right, like showing them everything from small indie films to obscure, mm-hmm. um, well, obscure, you know, well, uh, uh, movies with Boris Karloff to Tenebrae, my favorite Argento right. movie. Yeah, so um, he's doing new and old, you know, like he's not just stuck in the 70s or something. No, he's not, and and it makes me happy. And thank you for Darcy, Darcy making sure that he keeps the Italian horror in there, because he's not an Italian horror person. Um, So uh, He's not? No, he actually does not like Italian horror. He, wow, he does not know me. much about he, – he's, he doesn't like – he's not a Fulci fan. Uh, you know, I, he, he does like – oh, was it Anthropophagus? He likes that movie, which he showed a few weeks back. Hmm. Um, and Darcy gave him a doll for his birthday of, of, the, of the cannibal in that movie. that eats his own entrails. Huh. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, Jordan Galan called in, and then he disappeared. I wonder if he's having Internet problems, too. So if he's listening in. Please call and use your phone if you can't use the direct net. You, Raven, you may want to ping him and see if he's if he if he's having problems getting calling in because <laughs> apparently I'm suddenly not. after we were having no problems and now we are. So Correct. I hate blog talk so much. I have no idea if huh. it was blog talk that's causing the problem or if it was my internet connection. Because once again, I'm not calling from my normal location. I'm calling from uh, North Carolina. Um, in Greensboro, to be exact. So uh, I'm heading back up to Maryland for a couple of days to visit my daughter. So. Maybe we're haunted. Oh, uh, we more than likely are. Ghost in the machine, after all. Hi. Uh, so um, I, I thought we wouldn't have any technical. Aha, I think it's called in. So I'm going to put on my intro and... Um, this gentleman is Ooh. from the New York area and was in the very popular cult band for a long time called Doko Yume, which I actually heard of because I was living in New York at the time that they were kind of hitting their stride. Um, and he's also a film director, an actor, a writer, and an editor. And his film, an autobiographical film uh, about Doko Yume, Doko Yume Memories, will be premiering tomorrow at the Art of Brooklyn Film Festival. Um, he's done two features that you may have heard of, Rosencrantz and uh, Gildenstrew Undead, and on Ava Possessions, which you can see now on, on uh, Amazon Prime. Please, welcome to the show, the one and only Jordan Galland. How are you doing, sir? Welcome to your own Sexy Witches. Hi, you know how you were just asking about how you should call in sooner to see if there's any technical difficulties, and I said, no, there shouldn't be. Well, I lied. Uh, <laughs> it blocked me out of my own show. I actually have to watch. I'm doing this through the phone. But the good news is, is that Raymond was going to take the lead on this anyway, because he brought you on, and thank you, sir, for coming on the show. Well, I mean, I look, I'm used to technical difficulties, but I feel like I, um, I can never quite get my uh, computer to act the way I want it to. 
Well, I'm so glad you're calling in, and um, we will definitely um, talk to you about what you're doing. And you're very busy. Thank you for calling in on a very important week for you. Uh, Raven, why don't you take the lead? It's all you. Go on, sexy witch. Oh, hi. Hello. Oh, hello. So, um, Jordan uh, liked my tweet when I was watching Ava's Possessions. So uh, then I did some deep diving. And let's start with um, Ava's Possessions because that's what I saw first. Um, I saw this at just just perfect timing because I'm in a couple of 12-step programs, and uh, one of them is adult children of alcoholics, and I'm working on inventory, and I know that this part is coming up where you're making amends, and I know what it's like to be in a group and talk about really personal things, and I also know what it's like to try to apologize for something you don't remember doing. Um, Ava's possession takes on this idea that post-possession, post-exorcism, there is kind of a forced 12-step program that you may have to attend in order to reintegrate into society. Uh, Can you tell me, because I've never seen anything like this, uh, how this idea got into your head and what the process was getting it to film, and along the way, how the hell did Carol King, Carol Kane show up? Hmm. Oh my God! Uh, yeah, that, that that's great. That's a great question um, and series of questions. I like, you know, how did the idea come into my head? Well, first of all, I always am happy to hear a response like I've never seen anything quite like this because because. I don't know. There's so much stuff coming out all the time. And when you try to make something like a movie, especially which costs money and there's a lot of moving parts and it can take years of your life, you want to make something that hopefully is adding to the conversation, whatever that intergalactic conversation of stuff is, and not just like another sort of cardboard cutout of something we've seen before. So thank you for saying that. And that's part of what was the journey of, I guess, coming up with the idea or allowing the idea to enter my mind. I had been playing with various ideas and treatments and stories about possession, and I just wanted to find a, an original way into the genre. And actually, believe it or not, I had, like, for about two years, I'd been working on this sort of bigger, more, like, I guess you could call it Hollywood-style um, narrative about, like, kind of like men in black, but with demons. And, and it was just so unwieldy. But it, it, as I was flushing out this idea and writing different treatments and notes um, and watching possession films, researching it, I, I kind of built out this universe and realized that perhaps there was a smaller, more intimate, meaningful story in there. And that's kind of when I just, you know, had this eureka moment of, well, what if it's this girl who's woken up from being possessed? What would that look like if it was a, re- a recovery film? Um, but yeah. the possession is the thing. And, and that just instantly sort of uh, 
and several scenes I would say just started to like fall into place in my head because of that, um, the momentum of that kind of idea where um, it just sort of instantly strings out the logic of what should happen after that. So that was very exciting for me. Um, yeah. After two years of like banging my head against the wall. And then, mm. and then, uh, you know, when you're making a smaller film, it's like you can just get one piece in place that uh, especially like a location, because it's, you know, I started to dream up this narrative about this girl's apartment as being the main place. You're recovering and you're sort of staying in your house. I mean, these days it's like quarantining, right? But like people are coming over to visit her, like as if she's in hospice or something. And and so then I found a location for her apartment that was, I don't want to say abandoned, but a, a friend of, a friend uh, owned a, a like a rundown sort of emptied out big building and well six well, small building but it had that big sort of lost floors and there were two floors that had been gutted and he was looking to sort of renovate them and turn them into a raw space photography studio so I said hey we'll help you do that if you, you know, whatever we did a deal that was like extremely insanely cheap and we had access to this space for like three months and I so then I started to pitch that idea to investors and, and that got them excited because there's a lot of value in that. And, um, mm-hmm. and then I found a, I found Louisa Krauss, uh, who, who, uh, was going to be perfect for Ava. And, and that's really like, those are the first steps. Once I had Ava and I had a location, I was able to kind of, and, a, and an idea that I thought was really exciting. And a lot of people did too. I could like take that to investors and put together this, whatever, small budget film. And um, so we actually had, with the part of Talia, the witch, um, it's kind of cool. On a, that's the part that Carol Kane plays. But actually, I was walking around the building. I think now I can't even remember where exactly the street was. But um, I saw a witch store or a witch, you know, a, a, like a kind of Wiccan or mm-hmm. in Bush in Bushwick, and uh, and uh, I walked in. What was it called? I think it's called Catland. It's still there, I nice. believe. And um, sweet. Yeah, and 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 they let it. They, mm. I was like, hey, I had need this this location for for the witch in the in the film, and they they let us rent it. And so Parker Posey was gonna play the witch, and then didn't do it. I don't know, job mm-hmm. conflict or changed her mind. And like two days before we were going to film, we got Carol Kane uh, wow. to agree to do it. And like she had just flown in from Germany and I had like a, a one in the morning call with her the first time I met her. And she, she was really nice. And she was like, you know, she was like in the morning, I just, she's like, by the time I wake up in the morning, can you just Normally I do a lot of research and I can't do it right now. And I really want to delve into this. So could you just give me some sort of real life metaphor for what this witch is, how she views this young girl coming into the shop? I just want to understand this relationship. So I got off the phone with her at like two in the morning and I spoke to her the next morning at like 10 AM. And I, I was afraid I didn't have like a, necessarily the perfect idea to give her but then it occurred to me I was like you know I think she should be like she's sort of like 
um, <laughs> this is ridiculous, but she's like a madam <laughs> in a, in, you know, and she's worried that this young girl coming in is going to like make the wrong choice and sort of, you know, not know how to navigate this underbelly of society. And I think that helped her a little bit. I mean, ultimately, she asked me what accent I wanted her to do, and I was just like, I just like do yourself. She did all these yeah. accents for me on the phone, and German, and and uh, English, British, and French. Wow, it was so cool. But I was like, you know, just do yourself. She's like, oh, you just want me, okay? And uh, <laughs> and then she me. did it, and it was and it was beautiful. Oh my God! Right I just want her to be my aunt or something. Every time I see her, I right. want to hug her and be one with her. I don't, she brought I don't know she brought her own about. clothes. She brought her own Aww. clothes, like 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 eighty year old and vintage um, dresses to to wear. Wow! She was very. It was just such a cool thing to work with a. With a really, like, you know, kind of legendary pro like that. I mean, all no, the yeah. actors were, were, were great, but she really she really brought it. And she was only there, I think it was one or two days of filming. And um, and it, in my memory, it's like we worked together for, you know, like at least a week because it was so, it was so <laughs> charged. There was so much going on. Yeah, well, she does a great job, and everyone does a great job in it. And I'm really impressed with how you're able to balance your roles as a director and an editor and uh, as a writer, too. I, I think your writing's really strong. And a lot of times when there's people who kind of go for the trifecta and sometimes out of budget restrictions, uh, something's suffering a little. I dare say with Jordan Peele, he's got some editing help he could use. Uh, you know, you see continuity errors and, uh, and editing mistakes in his stuff a lot. And sometimes that adds to its charm, but I think also it's just not his strongest suit. But I couldn't find your weak spot. So, like, good job, dude. And <laughs> after, Thank you. Um, I take that compliment. Thank you very much. <laughs> after Ava's Possessions, I watched Rosencrantz and Guildenstrainer on Dead. And we're all theater geeks here. And I just got to say, as my specialized form of geekdom besides horror movies is musical theater. So I really appreciated that the director's name was Julian Marsh, having been in 42nd street a million times. So good job. (laughs) 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 me is so happy about that. Um, And also I've directed, I haven't directed Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, but I've directed productions of Hamlet before. And I did find that, um, a lot of the things that came up were very, I felt uh, I could relate to them as a director. Uh, a lot of maybe trying to either read too little into what people are saying or reading too much into it, maybe being <laughs> oblivious to what's really going on. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And I thought the writing was just as strong um, in Ava's possessions as well. Um uh, what was it like trying to get on video what's normally something that you would see on stage? Did you have any um, kind of translation sort of problems there, or did that come out yeah, pretty I mean, so, Well, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are undead, you know, was my first feature film. I, mean, I had made a couple short films before that, and... Um, 
and and Rosencrantz was the first time that I had worked with a real crew and a proper cinematographer. And in a lot of ways, it was like my film school, which I feel really fortunate about. But I also feel kind of silly that because now I'm like, there's a lot of things I could have learned going before I had done it, and it might have been a much better film, or I would have had more control over like how the story came across. One of the things right. that I was so excited about going into it, you know, I had I had this idea for this kind of conspiracy story that was the history of the Grail and the history of Shakespeare's authorship over his plays, and and I didn't know what to do with that. And at one point, I started writing like a period piece, and it was just really absurd. Like it felt like it, it would never get made, and no one would want to read that. But um, but, uh, then I kind of, I guess I was inspired a bit by like a Charlie Kaufman type of thing where you could bring in a meaningful romantic story that's taking place in the present that has all of, you know, things people can relate to in terms of relationship issues. Um, but it, it's threaded with this really bizarre outlandish other stuff that makes it fun and, you know, hopefully unique. So I set out to do that. And one of the things I was really excited about that I worked with the cinematographer on in great detail and the whole art department were the the play sequences because that was where we would tell the story that was like this kind of clever conspiracy thing I had worked out in my head in college. Um, And, but, you know, every time you cut to this exposition, the story, like, you need to really, what am I trying to say? It's like the momentum can really sag. And no matter what we did with the visuals and we did all this fun theatrical stuff in a in a soundstage, like we weren't really in a theater, so we were doing all kinds of things that you couldn't really get away with on a stage. We were like in a black box where we were moving sets around and changing lights and the camera was moving all over the place. And we had these great shots and a lot of them were like one take so you could almost felt like a musical. But in the editing room, I had to throw all of that away. And it, it, it wasn't even something I realized until the movie wasn't really, like, getting accepted into festivals and people that were excited by the trailer weren't that excited when they watched the, the feature and um, the full length. And uh, I didn't understand the business at all. But then we went back in with an editor, Dan Schechter, who became a really good friend of mine. He was the guy that edited the trailer and he's actually an amazing writer, director, editor himself. And he taught me how to edit essentially. <clears throat> but um, he kind of fixed the movie in a way with his editing. And, um, and I watched him do it and it like, it really, really inspired me. And I, I learned a lot from that. And then the movie got accepted into Slamdance and, and and it kind of felt like uh, this sort of troubled, you know, uh, year where where we were trying to find the shape of this film in the editing room it sort of dis- disappeared. Uh, my cat was right. fighting in the background. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the story of uh, I don't know that kind of getting that movie to to work to the degree that it yeah. did. But um. 
it looks really complicated to, I think about, like, where's the camera got to be and how do you set up that shot? And I always thought it would be so hard to film something to look like it's in a theater that's not really being on stage yet. <laughs> and you did it really well. I actually, I couldn't tell thanks. that wasn't a real theater. And I've been working in the yeah, no, theater since 1985. So good job. <laughs> wow. Wow. Thank you. I love, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it was really there was a waiting for Guffman element to the whole thing for me, mm-hmm. certainly in the conception of what it would be, in, in terms of it taking place in in a in a sort of off Broadway, off 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 Broadway theater, right? Um, and we just had to embrace it. But you know, one of the things that like people said when when the movie was kind of getting shopped around and executives were watching it at studios. They were like, it's great, it's great, it's great, but you know, it's kind of at the end. There's only like fifty people in the audience, and that's kind of a bummer. Right. <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, but didn't you see yeah. the theater beforehand? Like, there's only fifty seats every time we cut to that angle. So, you know, but they don't like it when there's like not enough extras or something. It like doesn't right. sell, doesn't sell the, the big explosions. <laughs> yeah. Wow. If you just had your extras explode, I think it would do better. <laughs> Speaking of the festival circuit, you're about to be on one tomorrow, eh? Um, with your yeah. documentary. I just watched this this morning and I went in cold um about your band Dopo Yume and you answered so many questions I had no idea I even had. Um, <laughs> but I did. And I think as a, someone who's been a performer, we can all say in the back of our mind somewhere, there's like that point zero 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 one percent chance that the night I'm performing tonight is going to be the night that someone in the audience will see me, and that's going to make a difference about what I do in the future. Now, it never happens to me or any of my friends. But I think it's just always there. And for you, you're in high school. You haven't graduated yet. You're playing your first gig, which you think is probably going to be your last gig because you're all about to graduate. And this happens to you because, I'm sorry, who lives in the audience? <laughs> well, um, Sean Lennon. And actually, Sean Yoko Lennon. Ono. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's you. He brought his mom <laughs> to the show. Um, and. Damn. And it was like, and there weren't a lot of people in the audience. I mean, there were like, there were like, there were like 30 people in this audience. And it was, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon. It was still daylight outside. I mean, it felt, it was really a strange experience. I mean, and also the other reason that I didn't really get into it in the, in the documentary, but the, my two bandmates who I had started this band with, when I was 17 and now we were 18, um, we hadn't played a show yet. Um, a week before we played this show, I asked you know, the other songwriter in the band why, when we were going to start to rehearse his songs. And him and the drummer, there were just three of us, but him and the drummer looked at each other. They gave each other this weird look. I'll never forget it. They turned back to me and they were like, we're saving those songs for a different band that we're starting. And um, oh. 
And I was just like, it just, I like don't even remember, like the rest was just blacked out. Like, I feel like I just started crying. <laughs> anyway, oh so, um, I mean, I, I love those guys. I still have a lot of love for them. But like at that moment, it just, it was painful for me. And, you know, they probably had their reasons. I probably was like the crazy, like even maniacal leader of the band that didn't realize how much I was alienating everyone with my like, uh, you know, need to rehearse and be a perfectionist and whatever but um but yeah so I thought we played this show and like it was I was like this is it we're not playing again after this because we just weren't even getting along and then um and uh and then yeah then Sean Lennon I'm with Yoko Ono and Sean was a friend I was a fan of his and he we had some mutual friends. Um, it was so cool that he was there. He brought his girlfriend was Yuka Honda from Chibo Mato, so she was there. Wow. And um, and then I like a few days later. I don't even. It seems like the next day in my memory. It might have been a week later, but I remember there were still payphones, and I was checking my messages from the <laughs> high school, the payphone in the lobby of my high school. And I get this message from Sean being like, do you want to open up for me on tour? And um, my next memory is just playing it for the, you know, my bandmates and just sort of it erasing everything, all the negative feelings we had had, like they were gone. And we were just like, holy shit. Um, yeah. We're going to do it. Rightfully so. Um, <laughs> Rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, we still talk about it till this day. I mean, you know, a lot of the issues we had sort of came back uh, it, when we were touring and that summer. And it was like, um, it was pretty epic for all of us. But like we, like, but some animosity creeped back in. And and so when we went to college, I, I kept playing, like I said, because the band suddenly had this little bit of a name that I could book shows with. Um, people knew Dopo Yume because of that tour, but the other guys didn't, um, they weren't around and they didn't really want to play in the band anymore. So I had to find new people. Wow. Yeah. I saw uh, your list. Wow. The list of past <laughs> members. Yeah. Oh, and then I started me. this journey, this road, <laughs> this rotating door. Um <laughs> That's but there was awesome. like there was like the polyphonic free, you know, just like whoever's there. Was there. Also, Come on. <laughs> yeah, and I mean there was also like some serious collaborations that I had with with like Soul Brothers, you know, like like David Muller, who I had met when I was sixteen. I go into this in the documentary. So when these guys left the band, when Stefan and Sam left the band after high school or after that summer when we toured, um. David and I were able to play together and that was the whole kind of new thing. I mean, the band probably should have had a different name, frankly, but <laughs> um, I just kept it. I just kept it. And I, like, I, like I say, I kept the same email address. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty um, silly. It's quite impressive that you have an AOL email, I must say. The only other person I know with one is my dad. So good job. <laughs> <laughs> and and I hear I that a like lot, you know. But thank you. Yeah, that's great. Um, so 
I'm going to open up to the rest of the panel and see if any of our ladies and gentle witches might have any questions for Jordan about any of his projects or anything that comes to your mind. Um, I do want to say that my friend John Hazel still has his AOL email address, <laughs> but but he's a coin collector. There are so, a few you know. of us. I mean, you should put me in touch with him because maybe we can, like, start a recovery group. There you go. <laughs> so, um, Aim chat. I, I watched both Ava's possessions and I also watched your music video um, and the Dopo Yume Memories last night. I did them all. Um, and so um, tell me about your animation because clearly you're, you were very heavy on animation. Who influences you? Um, and uh, would you like to actually maybe expand that into a short or a feature someday? Um, I love, I've always loved animation. I mean, I guess I grew up like a lot of kids fascinated by it. I, I haven't like, I took one animation class in college that um, before there was digital. I mean, what I'm not super old, but it was whatever. It was 1999, so it was still... Like you click and move something, click, move something, you know, video lunchbox, I think it was called. And um, I don't remember, though, like all of the names of the great animators or even the illustrators that I that that inspire me. Um, I with with that particular animation that I'm releasing next week on June 17th, um, I uh, a number of things came together, but I also have like a three and a half year old. And during the pandemic lockdown, like had hardcore lockdown, I was taking care of my daughter um, a lot of the time. And my wife, her job didn't slow down. So she was always working from home and I'd have to like sort of uh, entertain our child. So I decided that I would create a music video with drawings that like she could sit and watch me draw. And she was really excited by it. And I could kind of talk to her as I drew them. And then at the end, she kind of helped me. <laughs> she helped me color. I got her like into the concept of, of choosing which colors, or at least I tricked her into thinking she was choosing which colors I would choose. <laughs> but um, so that's kind of where that animation came from. But I, uh, you know, there's, there's an animation sequence in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern that are uh, undead that I had to do myself um, for budgetary reasons, but that, you know, so it's a, it's a skill that's come back time and time again. Um, I, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. I feel like there's, there's stuff that you can do with animation that especially, especially if there's a, the charm of the sort of old school, you can see the drawings. For instance, I try to make my daughter watch like, you know, just old Disney stuff more than modern nor like a computer digital graphics that like just um, it feels different has a different aesthetic and I, I'm drawn to the sort of more analog aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I am too. I thought that <laughs> um, yeah, the idea of like expanding into a feature is really cool. Um, that Liz was saying, have you ever thought about? Maybe an animated horror. Oh my God! I mean, I would, I would love that. You know, and I think like I'm not even. I haven't 
I haven't watched that many animation, like horror movies that are animated. Um, I know that there are a bunch, and I mean, even some like anime is probably right. considered horror. Mm. Um, and you were mentioning today that uh, Man God is, or uh, or was it Mad God is finally coming out? Phil Tibbet feature like yeah. animated thing. So there's mm-hmm. something to look forward to. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I mean, it's really remarkable because when you think about like a crew on a film, it's like all of the man hours and stuff that goes into that. But on an animation, it's sort of even more. I mean, it's and then you get like it's like claymation. I mean, and, and you know, in a sense, like 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 you know, Wes Anderson sort of did that with claymation, right? He was like, I'm gonna yeah. I, I'm gonna turn this into a feature, and um. Well, you know, mixed results. I mean, some of it's pretty impressive, but I think that you can, like, you might get too focused on the aesthetic of something, and ultimately, mm-hmm. the thing with like, I think Pixar was so amazing when it when at first they hit with Toy Story, and then they just keep kept hitting it out of the park, and they they still do it, right? I mean, like that movie Soul or um, mm-hmm. Inside Out, uh, those yeah. stories, those characters, and the the scripts are just immaculately sort of constructed. And I always thought it was like in the pre-production because, you know, they don't want to edit out too much stuff once they've created all of the visuals. It's not like filming where you can be like, okay, point the camera that direction, point this way, we'll figure it out in post-production. So they had to really do it in pre-production. And um, I think that's another thing that I would embrace if I were going to, do an animated feature just like what like making sure that script is like really really well developed so that when you go to create whatever lush visual element is going to be there that you're not ultimately forced to like toss it out the window like I had to do with a bunch of stuff that I did on Rosencrantz and Gilbert's one thing they say like you know kill your darlings and stuff like that. But when you're making a visual art form and you do something that like really lights you up visually and really gives you thrills, but you have to, you have to sacrifice that just for the sake of the movie (laughs) having momentum. It's, it's frustrating because you've got a question like, well, maybe, maybe the momentum should have suffered a little bit so that the visuals could have popped more. Um, but that's, that's a debate that will continue. That's one of the reasons I think I would not be good at filmmaking uh, as a director, as opposed to making decisions that help other people make decisions on stage. Because once they do it, it's done. I don't have to rewatch their performance every night <laughs> while I'm editing it. Um, and then think about how that uh, delivery was and how I only have this one delivery because it already happened and it was live. And I feel like the, there's almost less pressure when it's live because the imperfections are embraced more in live theater. Whereas in with film, if you mess up on film, it's just there forever. Um, and you're it's interesting because it. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about that because I like, I'm actually writing a play right now. And um, awesome. and I was thinking about how it's so interesting writing for the, I don't want to sound too pretentious, but 
you know, writing for humans, uh-huh. like writing for the human instrument, not writing for mm-hmm. the camera, not writing for yeah. the, the, the movie machine, you know, and, um, right. and I think theater is life and movies are death. <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. Uh, but there's I'm, certainly yeah. something, there's something remarkable about live theater that, yeah, you have to be there. You can't, you can't watch it. Videotaped live theater is so hard, right? It's like you don't want to yeah. watch it. A friend, someone could send you a link to their play, and like you know, I watch it and and I respect it, but I'm like, this is this is tough. But if you're there in person, yeah. it's a gazillion times more exciting. Right. That's because you cannot shoot a musical in. As, as a stage play, it's very hard to do. You have to shoot a musical like a movie or it will not carry on. That's one of the reasons, one of the reasons why I'm absolutely blown away by the version of Hamilton that dropped on Disney+. Plus. That was some of the best camera movements I have ever yeah. seen on a stage adaptation of the yeah, you know, film. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, yeah. And, and it's really hard to find because a lot of people, like when they did the live production of Cats in the 80s, well, first there was no audience, so that was weird. Um, and then they just had the three-camera sitcom setup. And it was really jumbly because the, it's mostly dance. So there's so much fluid motion, and then the cameras are just stagnant the entire time. It's really weird. And it's like watching something on a ghost town or like you're in the empty theater and it's awkward. <laughs> yeah, or, or it's like, right, right. Mm. That's always the yeah. weirdest one. Um, the producer yeah, we, movie? We, we, we taped a yeah. rehearsal. Watch the rehearsal. No, it's funny when you say that because even, even in, like, there was a few moments when I was filming Rosencrantz. And again, this is my first film and I had never done a musical before. But I was like, oh, man, this should have been a musical. <laughs> I, was I like, am this, so this would work. <laughs> This would have been a wacky musical. Um, I don't think it's too late, sir. That's all I'm saying. There's always room you. for a musical. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Aaron um, is our warlock of Orange County, and he also has a background in musical theater. Aaron, do you have any questions for Jordan tonight? I was the Pirate King once. It's true. Oh, Um, cool. Yeah, I was going to ask a a musical question, actually, because I know that you were operating your own record label in addition to your own film production company. How much are you still involved with that? Well, you know, these titles, it's like when I – was for, even that first summer that we were asked to open up for Sean Lennon and Rufus mm-hmm. Wainwright was actually also his first tour as well. Um, Love Rufus. Playing right. Yeah, Rufus, it was funny because Sean told us that we could use his equipment, but then Rufus was actually playing in front of, before Sean. So we got to the venue and we were like, we had to just ask, we met Rufus for the first time and had to ask his people like if we could use their equipment. Anyway, he was gracious and he let us <laughs> do it. It's all in Aww. the documentary. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, like we were, I mean, I was making cassette tapes and I was like sitting there, mm. you know, I feel like with like my girlfriend just like flipping cassettes and taping them and copying them and 
and then and then that that process became uh, CDs, and then there was a company that you know you could pay to like make CDs for you, and but it's all I mean that's all it was. I didn't like have a a record label, um, you know, office or anything like that. It was really just. I did at a certain point, um, I guess in my early 30s, like like help produce a few different artists and put out their EPs under mm-hmm. this label as, as if it was more of a label. But it was really just, you know, it's just very much out of necessity um, to, to get the music out there and to, to give the people what they want. Um, <laughs> Nice. But, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the production company is kind of the same thing. I mean, I did have like, I had a few interns at different points, but whenever I went to like make a film, there was a, a different, you know, we would just get a crew together and form a new like company and do it that way. So, um, yeah, I, I don't really, you know, I having a kid and, and stuff like that has made me, um, just sort of focus more on uh, the uh, the creative side to it and, and sort of take a step back from a lot of the sort of business hustle that I was doing before. Mm. I would imagine that kind of be doubly so with COVID because in my mind it goes, uh, yay, I have a baby. I'm just starting to figure out how to be a human and then COVID, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that yeah. sounds really fun. Uh, yeah, but I bet. Was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, wow. I mean, it's interesting. Like, it's, um, you know, being, like, doing different art forms, music and writing and kind of constantly hope, like, you know, keeping yourself productive. And, yeah, then COVID comes along and baby those things really in a way were an opportunity for me to sort of um actually just reassess a lot of like the, the processes that I was going through um and uh you know I mean I obviously want to improve and 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 do whatever I do next time have it be have it be better and better work so so sometimes it's you know you can get into a groove, but then it's kind of hard to um, grow that. It's hard to improve upon it because you're in this one way of working. Um, David Bowie always said he's like, well, the moment you feel like too comfortable, you're comfortable doing anything, you got to move on and do something that you're not comfortable with. Um, so that's kind of how I feel creatively. And I feel like this has given me an opportunity to, to do that. I mean, I think even this little documentary that we're showing tomorrow at the Brooklyn film festival, it's like, I never would have felt comfortable going through like my tapes and filming myself talking about it and stuff like that. But it was sort of like this and kind of put my toe in and crept along and applied what I had learned, but also tried to be more vulnerable and, um, you know, we'll see if that pays off or not. It's just a short film, but yeah. it was definitely like a project that like made me, it was like a different way of working and it it felt refreshing to me to do it that way. Yeah, I, I watch a lot of documentaries and I do get kind of um, skeptical as soon as I see the documentarian, like, why are you here? Why are you here? 
you better justify mm-hmm. it. Otherwise, I don't <laughs> want you on the screen. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I thought you did a great job. And a lot of times documentarians also sound very scripted when they're narrating or explaining something. If you had any script reference at all, I couldn't tell. And um, it was very personal. I felt like we were having a conversation, like we're meeting for coffee. Uh, but it still was very effective because there was still a lot of, oh, holy shit moments. That's really cool. Uh, hi, Chibo Mato. Where are you hmm. from? <laughs> What's up? Uh, so, yeah, it's, I'm, I think it's going to do really well for all I know about the Brooklyn Film Festival. But how do I go? Are they selling virtual tickets or do you have to be there in person? Well, yeah, there's um, there's virtual tickets uh, available on their website. Um it's funny. It's also the there's two festivals showing it. One is tomorrow, and then another Brooklyn Film Festival. It's called the Art of Brooklyn Film Festival. It's showing it Friday. They both okay. have virtual online screenings available, and um, and they both got lots of other cool films too. I mean, it's it's one of the great things about being accepted into a fest- festival is like, and I I loved this with like Ava's Possessions and my other movies, like going to a festival in person, but you can do it online. Like there's so many cool indie films that, right. you know, I mean, not all of them are going to get distributed. It's just like, there's, there's a lot of gems that just like slip through the cracks because the industry is, is that flawed. Um, well, and, uh, Liz just produced, yeah. um, she's one of the executive producers for the stylist and COVID really kind of helped with its distribution because of the festival circuit kind of being schnikied from the, the COVID. So everyone had to attend stuff online oh, right. and more and more people could attend online because they didn't have max, maximum occupancy in the um, same way that you would in a person. Am I, I telling that right, Liz? I was only the associate producer on the stylist, but because it played at the virtual fantastic fest instead of just in Austin, a lot more people saw it. The same with my other film, which I am the executive producer on, um, VFT3. A lot of people saw it virtually. So, um, you know, it it was a blessing and a curse all at the same time. Yeah, kind of like what happened with, like, great. I mean, I love that that there can be a silver lining for this horrible shit, but, like, um, like with restaurants, you know what I mean? Like, some restaurants were like they were like a bar that sold fries, but then suddenly they had this whole outdoor space, and they were like needed to hire waiters that like became like right. a full functioning like bistro. So yeah, I mean, depending on what you know how you're coming at this, like there there were opportunities there to reach a, a bigger audience and do better business, um, which is which is great in a lot of ways, just because you know, like I said. There's so many great films that, that hit these festivals, and they're not, you know, it's not Tribeca, it's not Cannes, but, like, they're still really good, and, and a lot of talented, well-done work, it's like, it gets pumped through them. So, I don't know, if anybody's listening, like, check out the Brooklyn Film Festival, get yourself a ticket, and, like, watch some good movies. Oh, I was really confused. I didn't realize that the Brooklyn Film Festival and the art of the Brooklyn Film Festival were two different film festivals. Really? Um, Why did you get confused by that? It's not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and it's like, and it, and, and they're a day apart. They're one day apart. Yeah, I was, I was looking at my notes, and I had Thursday, June 10th, and that's not right, because it's Thursday through the 9th, but it was actually a mix-up because of the two different days and the two different festivals. So, yeah, um, June 9th so, at 10 p.m., and then it's June 10th at 7 p.m. Yeah, um, but I will be at – I'll definitely be there tomorrow night to do the Q&A. Um, excellent. The, the, the Friday one is um, – well, the got to juggle some family stuff but it's also out in bay ridge brooklyn which is a little bit further um mm-hmm. i usually travel but if i can be there i will well most nice. excellent and where can they see ava's possessions and rosa cramps and are on dead um i um you know i think they're available wherever movies are streamed or rented um i uh, i saw ava's when I rewatched it today, it was on Amazon Prime for free. Yeah, I yeah, saw it on Prime. Yeah, and I rented and, um, it and I'm Cool, thank you. Um, <laughs> and then I, I also have a third film in between those two that's called okay. Alter Egos. Um, that has a lot of actors from Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are undead. And uh, yeah, I would recommend that one as well. Also, Sean Lennon did the score for all three of those films. I did um, not realize that. Yeah, we went that. on to become, we, we when we toured that summer, we became quite close, and and then we had a kind of fruitful collaboration after that, and I was, felt very lucky. He released those scores on his record label. Now, Sean has a real record label, speaking of that. It's called Samira Records, <laughs> and he releases yeah. lots of really cool stuff, and a lot, like, they put out, he does stuff with Yuka Honda and Miho Hattori put out some stuff as well. So like Chubo Mato in various forms was alive and well. And Sean's Can music you? and he put out. He, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just going to ask, uh, did you do something advertising wise for one of his, uh, his mom's albums? I did. Um, <laughs> I think I did. I drew. Um, I animated, actually, I think I animated something like birds flying out of Yoko's mouth. Ah. Um, for like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah That's pretty stinking cool. <laughs> it was very cool. I mean, I'm always honored when I get asked to do something like that. I mean, it's, you know, she's such a legend and, and no obviously doubt. just any time I can yeah. repay a favor, um, in some small form. But uh, yeah, he and, and right. So like Kamira Records, Sean's label releases Yoko stuff as well. Um, and uh, and so he put out the, the, the three the three soundtracks. And the interesting thing about the Alter Ego soundtrack is that we did the score, and then and we worked with a kind of arranger who had all these samples, and then Sean went and like re-recorded the score with like an orchestra. Just for the oh my wow. So it's not actually the recordings that are in the movie, which is just kind of wow. a cool detail. And That's there's also awesome. a few pop songs on each on each record that him and I did that like kind of okay. appear in the background of the movie. <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I will listen to those tonight. That's badass. Well, cool. um, we're we're almost out of time, sir. 
thank you once again for coming on the show. Break a couple legs and a few torsos at your festival <laughs> thank this you. week. Thanks so much and, for having um, me on. It was really fun talking to you guys. And keeping New York uh, relatives and in the moment as always, because, you know, you are a New Yorker and uh, I was a New Yorker for a while and you can, you, you can never quite take New York out of yourself. There's always, there's always wow. something about New York that always will draw you back. And I so, agree. I you know, so, so good luck, sir. Well, sorry, not good luck. Yeah. Come back anytime. Thank you. And keep and, me, yeah, please. The, keep me up abreast of your situation. Well, I like, I want to hear about the, the projects you're doing. So, well, uh, you, you can know, see the stylist right out. now, um, shameless plug. It's actually on Amazon <laughs> Prime and it's actually just got dropped for free on Shutter. So, if you have a Shutter subscription. <laughs> awesome. Watch it on Shutter. It's amazing. It was up for a chainsaw for Fangoria, which was awesome. We lost, but that doesn't matter. We were, we were nominated. Um, <laughs> and um, the Fraser Park movies are just crazy. You can find those also on Amazon Prime if you ever want to watch something very silly and dystopian, um, Dance Dance Revolution to the Death kind of stuff. So, yeah, <laughs> so uh, often, I am often in the mood for such fair. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for coming on the show. And uh, you're going to have to hang yourself up because I can't do it because I'm locked out of my own show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all class, all class. Um, all right. Well, I will hang up in three, two, one. Bye. Have a good Thank night. You. Bye. Bye. <laughs> he was so helpful. Cool. Jordan Galan. Yeah, he was awesome. Thank you, Raven, for bringing him. And uh, yeah. our our next uh, our next guest too next week, Will Keenan, um, is also gonna was brought in by you. And uh, thank oh, you. And that'll weeks. be an awesome. And that's in two weeks on the twenty second. So I'm looking forward to that because that guy has done a lot of acting in some of the some of our genre favorites, including Tromeo and Juliet. So that'll be awesome to talk to. Um, and the ghastly love of Johnny X, speaking of horror movie musicals. So yes. um, it's going to be awesome. Um, real quick, before we leave, I wanted to do a shameless plug. Our boy, Jeff Seaman, who is in our second episode, this Seaman. Uh, this Seaman, oh, my God. This season. <laughs> His film, Terror Trips, which he called in for, um, which was on the festival circuit with the FP3, um, has its distribution date on the 14th. Um, it's nice. going to be, I don't know all the platforms for sure on Voodoo, um, but look at, rent it, look it out, and it's actually bloody disgusting. Dropped an article on it yesterday, and uh, it's getting really good reviews. So congratulations, Jeff. You're hitting it out of the park. So. Yeah. <coughs> so anyway, that's it for our show. We're going to go for the night. Thank you, Raven, for the interview. And thank you, Erin, as always. And Nathan, I hope you're feeling better. Come back on the show in two weeks. Once again, the 22nd, this is our That's on Sexy, which is, Raven, where can they find you on the interwebs? You can find me on Twitter at Raven Looney and on TikTok as at Frida Krueger. Oh, yeah. And oh, and what about you, Mr. Kogut, <laughs> the warlock of Warwick oh, County? On the, the Book of Face, you can call uh, find me as Winslow Leach 
Um, and if you're a fan of Phantom of the Paradise, you'll know why I chose that name. Uh, current, mm-hmm. There's three of us, uh, Winslow Leeches, on Facebook. Uh, I'm the one who has uh, Zaphod Beeblebrox as a campaign poster <laughs> on mine. Uh, it currently says mm-hmm. Hoopy, which I subscribe to. Uh, on the Twitter, tweet, 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 I am at Aaron Sama 1313. And um, if you want to find me, I am, there is an archivist that's on Sexy Witches Facebook page, but the best place to find me is on my personal profile, Elizabeth Catherine Gray. Um, that's where I post everything related to the show, as well as if you want to learn about any history or current events or saving drive-in movie theaters and movie palaces, I post it all there. So, uh, you know, join me at your own risk. And, of course, we have the Halloween Horror Movie Marathon Madness, our horror group, the FBX Film Geek Circle, which is our general film group, and then the Robes of Tossie Station, which is our small but significant science fiction and science group. So those are all on Facebook. Please join us in one, all three, or on my personal profile. And, once again, we'll be back in two weeks on the 22nd with Will Keenan. I'm going to leave you tonight with... Running up the hill, the Stranger Things <laughs> remix, because, well, you know, once again, we're stuck in the six, eight, in 1986, <laughs> and we can't get away. So, you know, <laughs> let's end our suffering tonight with the way I've been left out of my show. I was like I was in the upside down the whole time. <laughs> so good night now, everyone. Blessed be and good film hunting. We'll talk to you in two weeks. 